Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. Well, this morning, if you're going to follow along in the Bible, please turn to Ephesians chapter 3. This is our third week where we are looking at chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, where we are understanding this topic of learning to pray. This series, the book of Ephesians, is nicely divided into three parts. There's the sit part, there's the walking, and there is the standing. Today, we actually wrap up the first part, the first section of the book of Ephesians at the end of chapter 3, where we are learning how to sit. I want to remind Mind you about this idea of the chair, this idea of sitting, this idea of resting, and this idea of receiving from the Lord. The first three chapters of Ephesians are learning how to do that. They're learning how to rest in him, understanding what he says about you, understanding what your identity is in him, understanding what he has done in your life. Paul covers things like this, that we are adopted as his children. That we have been chosen by him, that we have been made holy and blameless, that we have been forgiven by God. You're not unforgivable. There is no depth that you could have dropped to that God still can't pick you out of that well and that pit and redeem you. You have been redeemed by him. You have been set free by him. You have, you have uh, been forgiven by him. And again, you've been brought into his family. And that's the first part that he talks about. Paul then transitions into the fact that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We had no relationship with God. We were apart from God. We were separate from God. We were kept distant from God. And it was our sin that kept us there. But again, God, who is full of grace and mercy, brought us near. He broke down the dividing wall. He broke down the barriers that existed, and he gave us an opportunity. You have an opportunity to have a relationship with God. And the first part of Ephesians is learning just how to receive that. Quit doing, quit being, quit being busy all the time, and just receive from God and rest in God. We are five weeks today from our, what we call Easter or Resurrection Sunday, where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. It's around the Passover season. It's an incredible uh, thing that happened at the right time, the time that it needed to happen. But I want to encourage you over the next five weeks to purposefully sit and rest and receive from God what he has for you. Set aside time every day where you can just sit in the chair and you can say, God, what do you have for me today? What do I need to learn about myself? What do I need to learn about you? What do I need to receive from you? How can I be still and know that you are Lord? And that is what it means to sit and to receive. Now, after we finish this section today, 
We'll be moving on to what it means to walk. And that's actually going to start after our Easter season. So it's going to start about six weeks from now that we're going to just be taking a break, focusing in on Easter, a couple of special things that are happening over the next couple of weeks. But we are just going to learn how do we walk this out in our lives today? How do we walk in a manner worthy of God? And that's exactly what he tells us to do, walk in a manner worthy of him. We're going to learn that today, though, we're going to wrap up section one through the end of Ephesians 3 with, again, this idea of learning to pray. As we learn to pray, we want to seek God. What do you want us to learn? What do you want us to receive? How do you want us to work out this in life? So today, we learn to pray once again. Now, Paul divided this into three or four sections. We can look at the section of adoration. What does it mean to adore him? to praise his name? What does it mean then to bring our petitions before him? Then how do we intercede or how is Paul interceding for us? How do we intercede for others? What does Paul want us to have in the core of who we are? And then finally, this closing benediction, the closing praise once again. It's like a praise sandwich where we have have the beginning praise, we have the petition and intercession, and then we have a closing praise again because all of this is about God. It's not about us. It's about him. Let's read again chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Then let's pray and get into the message today. Paul writes this, for this reason, now remember what was the reason? Well, it's everything we had covered in chapters 1, 2, and 3. For this reason, because you were adopted, you were forgiven, you were chosen, you were made holy and blameless, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, you were made part of God's family. The wall of separation has been broken down. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. From him, every family in heaven and on earth receives its name. I pray that from his glorious riches. He would grant you to be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit. In Hebrew, that's the Ruach, the breath, the wind of God. So that Messiah, Jesus the Christ, may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul says, I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to grasp with all of the saints, all of the Kedoshim, what is the width and length and height and depth And to know the love of Messiah, which surpasses knowledge, so you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far beyond all that we ask or imagine, by means of his power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church, the community of believers, and in Messiah Yeshua, Jesus Christ, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray and get into this. Father, we come before you today wanting to hear from you, but mostly, Lord, the reason we gather here today is because we want to praise you. Life is not about us. It's about you. The future is not about us. It's about you. It's not about our needs. It's not about our wants. It's not about our desires. It's not about what our goals are, Lord. It's all about you. Sometimes we get that out of alignment, We tend to think life is about us and it's about making me happy and it's about me living the life that I want to live and it's about the job and the pursuits that I want to have, but it's not, Lord, it's about you. So Father, today, help us to remember that. Help us to be humbled by that. Help us to be surrendered in the fact that life is about you. Help us to praise you, learn from you, grow in you, and make a difference for you while we have time here. 
Father, this is your time this morning, and we want to hear from you. So please, Lord, speak to us. Help us to know you in a deeper way. Help us to be convinced, Lord, and help us to be convicted over things that we need to be convicted over. Bless this time now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's again just recap what we talked about before we first talked about adoration. How do I come to God in prayer? What's the first step of coming to God in prayer? We want to come with adoration and praise and worship before God. That's the reason we sing songs on a Sunday morning is because we want to bring our adoration and our worship of God. We want to proclaim who he is and how great he is. As you begin your own prayers, start with adoration. That's a good way to get the focus off of you and onto who it needs to be on, and that's God himself. So we start with adoration. Paul writes this at the beginning of that prayer. He says, for this reason, he says, I bow my knees. So he says, I bow my knees. Now we have talked about that. That means I'm getting either figuratively or literally on my knees before God because I want to surrender to him. I want to acknowledge him. I want to bring my adoration to him and my praise to him. And I want to do this before my father, the father in heaven. He is almighty God. He is king of kings, Lord of lords. He is the creator of the universe, yet he is also my father. And I could bring requests to him like your own children would bring a request to you. You have children, many of you have children. You have children that will bring a request. As they bring a request, you don't just ignore them or you don't belittle them or shame them, I hope. You listen to them and sometimes you say yes, sometimes you say no. It's for the benefit of the child, the benefit of your children. God is my father and I can approach him in that way. Then we have petition. What petitions can I bring before God? Well, Jesus, in his prayer, said this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So again, it's not about me. It's your kingdom, it's your will. Give us this day our daily bread. And that's bringing my petitions. I can bring my needs before God. God will hear those needs. He will help those needs. He will meet those needs. He's not promised to meet all of our wants, but he has promised to meet our needs. And so I can bring my needs before God. And then we moved on to intercession. And this is what Paul focuses on. The rest of the prayer is really focused on intercession. Paul praying for the church in Ephesus. Us praying for one another. My prayer for you. I hope it's your prayer for me. This is the intercessory prayer. And here's what Paul prays. He first prays that you, that I, that they would have internal strength. Strength. We need to be strengthened internally. Many of us spend moments of time or lots of time for some of you on strengthening yourself externally, looking strong externally, having, having a, a, a persona that pr, uh, promotes being externally strong. But that's not what Paul prays. Paul prays for inner strength, that your heart would be strengthened because if your heart is strengthened, you can face anything. If your inside is not strong, if your heart is not strong, you will find yourself falling apart at the hardest, at times that are the hardest. But when you're strong inside, God will help you through whatever you have to go through, whatever crisis, whatever dilemma, whatever problems, he can make you strong. You know, the disciples, 
The early disciples, the early church, they faced persecution around every corner. They were persecuted everywhere they went. From fellow Jews, they were persecuted from Gentile pagans, they were persecuted from the Romans, they were persecuted on every side, yet God made them strong on the inside, and therefore they could face whatever persecution came their way. As we look at the world events around us and we match those up with the Bible, we start seeing that we are in the stages of what the Bible talks about as the end times. Are we there? Have we started that? I I don't know, but it sure looks close. All of the chess pieces on the board are, are being moved to really show what the Bible says. If that is the case, persecution will come our way. How do you face persecution? Because... We're going to face it. You have to be inwardly strong in order to face whatever persecution comes your way. Paul again says this, I bow my knees and I pray that from his glorious riches that he would strengthen you in your inner being. That's what he's looking at. I want to strengthen you from the inside. Then Paul says, now I don't want to just strengthen you on the inside. I want to see the indwelling Messiah, the indwelling Jesus in your heart. Now, what does he say for that? He says, I pray that you would be uh, strengthened in your inner being with power so that Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, the word dwell, we looked at that last week. It means taking up permanent settlement permanent residence, that Jesus would feel at home in your heart. The picture that we used was this, that your heart is like a home divided into different rooms. And Jesus comes to the door of your house and he knocks. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Will you let me in? Will you answer the door? If you do, let me in. I will come in. I will dine with you and you with me. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking. You could open the door and let him come into your life. When he comes into your life, he takes up residence in the living room. He's there. He's a guest. He stays in the living room. And at some point, he says, but I want to dwell here. I want the whole thing. I want to take a permanent settlement. Will you sign your house, your heart over to me? And the decision that we make is this, Jesus, my whole heart, my whole house is yours. You can have it all. Lord, help me to get myself out of the way. And anytime I get in the way and anytime I stumble in the way, please forgive me and help me just to get out of your way. It's your house. It's your heart. It is your home. Now, the result of Jesus settling down in our hearts are the next things Paul talks about. The next thing he says is, you will have an incomprehensible love. (coughs) Do you know that the one thing that sets Christians apart in this world is not going to church? The thing that sets Christians apart in this world is the love that you have for other people. That is what distinguishes Christianity from anything else. It's not a religion. It is not a ritualistic pursuit. It is that Christ has filled your heart with love and it naturally starts to ooze out of your pores. That love is key in understanding who Jesus is and understanding how to make a difference in this world. Love, the husband for the wife, the wife for the husband. The parents for their kids and the kids for their parents. 
friends that you come in contact with, and even strangers that you don't know, you start to have a love and a desire for them. Here's what Paul says. I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to grasp with all of the saints, all of the church people, what is the width and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Messiah, which surpasses knowledge. Surpasses knowledge. That means it's unknowable. How can you know love that is unknowable? And that's because God reveals it to you more and more every day for your entirety of your life. He just keeps revealing it more and more. He keeps giving you more and more. It's like a sponge that is dry and empty that God just soaks with his love. And that love just oozes out. It just drips out everywhere you go. Paul says this is the rooting and the grounding. The Christian is rooted and grounded. That is a tree that is planted by streams of water that's roots go down deep and it holds it firm in case a storm comes. If you've ever lived through a windstorm in Wyoming, which most of you have, you know how things, if they're not anchored, if they're not rooted, can fly all over the place. I know couples or no families that have lost their trampoline from the wind and it is blown into the neighbor's lawn because of the wind. We have items on our deck where we live. We have a deck with furniture on the deck, and we have, it's just blown away. We've lost the furniture because it just blows like crazy. If you're not rooted and grounded, you will blow wherever the wind takes you. You have to be rooted and grounded. Again, as society gives you false messages, as society shames you, if you're not rooted and grounded, you will just go wherever the society says. And this is going to be the problem in the church moving forward, is that we have churches that are not rooting and grounding people in the word of God. And as such, when society comes against you, it will cause you to blow everywhere. You've got to be rooted and grounded. What's the rooting and grounding? It is in the love of God. How does the love of God work? Well, one, I receive the love of God. And that's what it means to sit. I sit and I've got to be receiving, overwhelmed with the love that God has. Have, have you ever been overwhelmed in that manner? That you just realize, I don't deserve anything except for hell. I have messed up so bad that I deserve eternal punishment from God. Why would God care about me? I'm a mess. And then you realize, but he loves me anyway. And that love begins to overwhelm you. And that's the first stage. I have the love of God overwhelming me. It's like Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls, if you've seen pictures or if you've ever been there in person, you cannot stop the falls from flowing. You can't stop the water. You could stand underneath the falls with a little umbrella, hoping you can stop it, but you can't. It will overwhelm you. Standing underneath Niagara Falls and that water pouring is like the love of God. It just pours out and pours out, and I just receive it. I have to receive it. I have to accept it. And once I do, and it fills my heart, now it just drips out everywhere I go. And that's what I hope is the case. And this is what my prayer is for you, that 
Jesus settles in your heart and you become so overwhelmed with the love of God that it just pours out everywhere you go. Paul says this is the next stage is that you will have this incomprehensible love. And then he says the result of that is the thing that people are searching for more than anything. And that is infinite fullness. What is infinite fullness? Well, here's what Paul says. I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, can grasp. It is, I can comprehend it, grasp it with, with everybody. What is the width and the length and the height and the depth? That is all dimensions of God's love. You can't possibly know it, but God will reveal it and show it. To know the love of Messiah, which surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up with all of the fullness of God. Filling up with all of the fullness of God is the thing that people are looking for. It's the search for the meaning of life. Why am I here? Why do I exist? What is my purpose? Finding my thing in life, and the thing is being filled up with God, the fullness of God. Now, the word filled up means this. It means to make full, to fill to the full, to be complete. So Paul says, I pray that you are filled to the brim with God. You're made complete in the fullness of God. Now, what does the fullness mean? The fullness means this, a complete abundance. The completeness, the abundance. It's used to describe a ship, a cargo ship, that has been completely filled with merchandise and crew, and it can't possibly take any more. Paul says, this is my prayer for you, church, in Ephesus. This is my prayer for the journey, church, is that you are filled up with all of the fullness of God. Now, let's talk about what this means to be filled with all of the fullness of God. So let's think about it this way again. We've talked about inner strength, my heart, Christ's home, the love that I receive from God. And here's what Paul ends this whole section with, is that you can be filled up with the fullness of God. The heart of most people, you can put it this way, the heart of most people is empty. They're empty. They're dead, to use the biblical term, or they're empty, or they're searching for something. They're searching for meaning. They're searching for purpose. And so what will happen with people is they will look through anything they could possibly find in order to try to find meaning and purpose and fullness. And this is the struggle. And it starts when you're a kid, and it doesn't end until you know the Lord. You will keep searching, and you'll keep searching, and you'll keep seeking, and you'll keep seeking, and you'll never find because there's nothing that will ever satisfy the heart of people. So what are some of the things that people look at in order to try to find my fullness, my meaning, my purpose? Well, one of the things that maybe some of us in here are guilty of is that we have looked to money. And money has been the thing that we are looking for because when I have money, I finally feel full and I have meaning and I have purpose. And so I'm striving to have more and more money. If I could just make that first million, if I could make that next million, if I could make the next million, if I could finally have enough, then I will finally feel happy and full and purpose. And you don't even have to be striving for a million. It could be I'm striving for a thousand. And it's whatever. Money consumes me. Jesus says, it's the love of money. 
that is the root of evil. That love of money is what I'm describing here. I have such a craving and a strong desire because I think if I have money, then I'll finally be happy. You ever been there? If I can only have enough, then I'll finally be happy. Well, some people, it's not really money. It's the career or the job that they do. And that becomes my meaning and purpose. My title, what I do for a living, what, what I'm accomplishing with my job, that's what I'm looking for. And I, I'm not accomplishing what I want to accomplish with this job, so I'm going to study and get a different job because I think if I get that other job, then I'll finally be fulfilling what God wants me to fulfill. I'll finally find meaning and purpose and fullness in life. Maybe that's you. Some people, it's not about the job. Maybe it goes along with the money. Maybe it's their possessions. So they think their possessions, things that they have. If I can have a car, not that car, can I have a different car? Can I get a new car? Can I get a better car? And you're constantly in debt because you're pursuing having a good car. Maybe it's your house. I don't want that house. I want a different house. I want a vacation house. I want all of these things that will make, I want new furniture and I want new clothes. And this furniture is outdated. I've had it for five years. I don't want this anymore. I need something new. I need to remodel the house. I need to change the house. And it's really all about me feeling like if I can just find that next thing, if I can just accomplish the next thing, then maybe then I'll finally be happy. Maybe it's not those, maybe it's your relationships. And you think, you know, if I can only have the right girl, the right woman, the right guy, the right man in my life, if I can only find that one, I'm happy with this one for a while, and then I'm unhappy, and so I'm going to break it off and find somebody else, because if I can find somebody else, maybe then I'll be happy. And then I realize, well, they're not making me happy. I'm going to find somebody else. They'll make me happy. And they're not doing it, so I'll find somebody else, and they'll make me happy. Or the modern thing that happens today is I'm not happy with who God has created me to be with my gender, so I'm going to find a new gender because that will make me happy. You understand this? People are empty, and they're looking everywhere except for God in order to fill the emptiness. So we look at careers, we look at possessions, we look at money, we look at maybe having children. You know, maybe you're a, you're a couple and you think, well, we're not super happy. I know what will fix this is we'll have kids and then that will fix everything. Do, does that work, by the way? No, it does not work. Because you have kids and you realize, oh my goodness, what were we thinking? Having kids. There's so much work and they're hard and they cost a lot of money and they're messy and they're wonderful. Kids are great. But if you're looking to have kids because you feel so empty, then the kids are, that's the wrong motive for having the kids. And so some people look to uh, alcohol and drugs. They look to education, all kinds of things that people look to in order to think, well, you know, if I can just do that and I can have that and I can accomplish that, then maybe I will finally feel good. Do you know in the book of Ecclesiastes, by the way, I'd encourage you to read that. But in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes this, chapter two, chapters one and two, I would read them. Paul, uh, Solomon says, you know, I, I tried all of these things. So I tried pleasure, 
and I didn't, I didn't withhold anything from myself that was pleasurable, and it was madness. And I, I tried to cheer myself up with wine, and that was folly. And I tried to accumulate a bunch of possessions, and I built houses for myself, and I planted vineyards, and I, I, I accumulated silver and gold and treasure, and then I had all kinds of servants, he said. I didn't deny anything that my eyes could see around me. I withheld nothing from my heart. And his conclusion of all of it was this. Yet when I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended to accomplish it, behold, it was all futile and chasing after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. And so this is why Paul says this. I pray that you would be filled up with all of the fullness of God. The fullness, that you are overflowing with the fullness of God. So this whole section is this, learning how to sit, learning how to receive, learning how to listen, learning how to rest and be with God, to hear from him these things. I love you. Doesn't matter what you've done. I want to make you part of my family. I don't want to leave you as an orphan. I want you to be with me. I want you to have an eternal life with me. I don't want you to suffer. I want you to be with me forever. I've chosen you. I've made you holy and blameless, even though you don't feel like you are. I've put my seal, my guarantee upon you. You were dead, but I made you alive. You were hopeless, but I gave you hope. You were separate, but I have brought you near. I want you to rest in that, God says. And I want you to let me rest in your heart. Let me take over all of your life. Surrender all that you have to me. Let me pour my love into you so that you could pour your love into other people. Let me fill you up with all of the fullness that I have so that you may be full in return. What, what does that look like? It looks like this. Where Jesus is at the core. I've got to quit running from him and start receiving him. Asking him, Jesus, you fill me up. You show me your love. You take over the entire heart. And when that happens, and I have the fullness of God, it starts to pour out of our lives everywhere that we go. Do you know Jesus like that? Have you accepted him like that? Have you realized and rested in him and just stopped striving and said, Jesus, I need to receive from you for a while. And when you do that and you receive what God has, it changes everything about you on the inside. That fullness is now what's going to help us to walk out life, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of God that we're going to learn about in chapter 4. Paul ends it this way with a benediction, and here's the benediction that he ends it with. He says, now to him, that's to the Father, who is able to do far beyond all that we ask or imagine. Let those words sink in. He is able to do far beyond all that we ask or imagine. Do you ever realize that about God? He can do far beyond anything that you can think, anything that you can ask, and anything that you can imagine. That doesn't mean a blank check. That 
you know, I can imagine, again, a jet plane. He's not saying that. It's not a, a, an invitation that he's just going to give you whatever you want. It is God's purposes that he will work out will be far beyond anything that you ever imagined it would be. It's amazing what God can do. It's amazing how he can protect you, how he can lead you, how he can bless you in ways that you can't even imagine. God will work out everything. He is able to do far beyond all that we ask or imagine. How is he able to do that? By the means of his power that works in us. Do you know that you have the power of God? The word for power is the Greek word dynamis from where we get our word dynamite. You have the dynamic power of God in you to accomplish what God wants to accomplish in this world. He will work through you and in you for his glory. To him be the glory in the church. That's the community of believers. And in Jesus, Messiah Yeshua, throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's how he concludes sitting. I sit, I receive, I rest, I hear about his love. I put off the old junk, the old tapes that I've always been listening to, and I always start to receive from him. You know what I'm talking about. The old tapes that have told you for years and years, you're pathetic, you're worthless, you're unlovable, you're hopeless, nobody cares about you, your life is meaningless, you have nothing you can accomplish. The tapes that you've heard over and over again, you sit and you let God erase them and replace them with his truth. And once I have received the fullness of God, now I can start living out what he has purposed for my life. If you've not surrendered your heart, if you've not opened the door of your heart, if you've not received the love of God, if you have not received the fullness of God, it's a matter of prayer. God, I pray to receive what you have in store for me. We're going to close today our service with just a word of prayer. And if you'd like further prayer, we've got a couple of tables. Uh, well, there's not one over here, but pretend there was one. There's one over there. We've got a couple of places up front that if you would like to pray, we would love to pray with you. If you have a specific need, a specific request, we want to pray with you here today. Would you pray with me? And then we are going to dismiss. Father. Help us to quit striving, to quit trying so hard, to quit being busy all the time, and just rest and sit and receive the love that you have for us. You loved us and still love us, though we do not deserve it. We have had tapes playing in our minds for years and years. You know what those messages are. You know what we have been hearing and what we've been saying to ourselves. You know what the enemy has been whispering in our minds. And I pray today, Lord, that we would be set free, that we would listen to your truth, that we would hear from you the love that you have, that today we would open the door of our hearts, we would let you have complete control and access to our hearts, and that we would be filled up with all of the fullness of God that you want to bring to us. As we leave this place today, Lord, help us to be difference makers in this community. 
not for any personal gain or personal satisfaction, but because we love people and want to see them saved from the pit of hell. Thank you, Father, for meeting with us today. As we leave, bless, protect, watch over, and be with each one of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful day, and we'll see you back here next week. Hey, thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys, and thanks for listening to this message.